Ladies and gentlemen, you're now tuned in to the High Culture Podcast, where we bring the mind of the divine into our times. I'm your host, Sheree James, and my co-hosts, Terrence Frederick and Jonathan Austin. Do me a favor, show us some love. Blessings, 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 a blessed, beautiful Sabbath to all of our listeners we are just grateful to be with you for another week. Um, we couldn't wait to get back here and just uh, just build, have some great conversations to bring some edification to you and your family. And again, we just continue to pray that you all are continuing these conversations in your spaces, um, that you all may be fruitful and uh, just growing the wisdom of the Most High God. And we're going to continue in some dialogue today. We're going to revisit some of the topics that we spoke on last episode um, we felt like we needed to build on those a little bit more. But before we jump into our content for the day, I want to check in with my co-hosts, my brothers, and see how everybody's doing um, as we uh, just take rest in this week. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, Jonathan, what's going on with you? How you feeling? How you feeling today? All is well. All is well. I'm feeling real, real good. Uh, ready to get into this content with y'all, man. I look forward to this time. I, I really do. That's what's up. How about you, Terrence? Yeah, everything is good. Um, had a blessed week, um, empowered week. Got a chance to see my my girl, my my wife, uh, minister, um, uh, minister and flowing ministry to, um, over the last weekend. So I was excited about that. Everything is good. I'm ready to get into it as well. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I had a previous week I had a great vacation and then I came back home and I don't know if my body was ready to get back to work because I was under the weather but we rocking today I'm feeling good this is a I'm, I'm always excited to get in and build with the brothers and um to build with you we are definitely looking forward to to having conversation with you as you engage with our our, our content and um just hear your feedback and what you might want to add to it so uh, without further ado, today we're going to get into our topics for our first segment today for the culture. Yes, that's right. For the culture, we're in here. So you all know if you were checking with us last week, we were talking about the destructive loop of toxic uh, masculinity and toxic feminism. And uh, we normally know that toxic masculinity is becoming very popular, but toxic feminism is not necessarily a coin phrase that people use a lot, but... We know that there is toxicity in both uh, both representations. And what I wanted to come back around to today is to build on. I know we got kind of off into just dealing with what is gender. And um, first thing I want to say is I know many people will say gender is a social construct um, and they separate it from sex. But I think that that is to create confusion. And because we don't want to get into a place of confusion, we're going to deal with I just want to dig back into the idea of the roles or the expressions having toxicity to them or being considered toxic. And ultimately for me, when I look at that, when I think about what's 
what toxic means that something is poison or it's not functioning or flowing in the way that it was designed. Um, that's what I start thinking about. So ultimately what both parties are saying is that you're not flowing or functioning in the way that you're, you're designed or that I perceive your design. How, how about y'all when y'all hear that, uh, the term toxic, what immediately comes to your mind in regards to this topic? When I hear the term toxic, the first thing I think about is something that is not good for something. So when you talk about toxic masculinity, something that is not good for masculinity or toxic feminism, something that is not good uh, for feminism. But I also look at it now in the way the terms are used and they're thrown out now, like just things that people don't like. And it's just now the way to make it bad is just to call it toxic. That's true. I do think that, uh, I mean, I think that that's on par with a lot of things that we say in today's times. We, you know, we could be offended by micro things that are, don't even require a feeling or a response to it. But I, I agree with that. What about exactly. you, Terrence? I think of it as mainly the label of toxic would be coming from the other side. Like basically the women would be calling the men toxic their masculinity toxic or if i don't know i've never heard the phrase but if you know if men are referring to women's uh, femininity as toxic or something like that it would be like this is toxic to us or this is attacking us or keeping us from being who we need to be because this exists on the other side of it yeah i I think that that's pretty much by and large what i'm seeing I, i am seeing men uh, call out toxic masculinity but what i'm really overall hearing is either side is feeling a um a level of oppression or they feel like um they're not able to fully mature and express their full selves because of some type of opposition from the 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 opposite side but my take on all of that is <clears throat> when when you have both of these things present toxic masculinity or toxic feminism I feel like each of them are in pursuit of gaining leverage over the other party and it's becoming oppressive in nature. And it, you know, it creates this discording of views of, of the opposite sex. And ultimately when we think about God's design for man and woman at, at the very minimum, we know that they were supposed to work together. They're supposed to work in tandem and that they had their functions and roles. And I know people can be very, um, you know, uh, they could they can feel a, a way about when we talk about gender roles or we talk about uh, functions in, in roles as you're in your particular sex. And you could be up in arms about it, but I think that everything has a role, has a function, has a place, or multiple roles, functions, and places. And I think that we can't, as a society, we can't get away from that because what it does is it breaks down the family structure. If you have both parties trying to do the same thing, one expression is missing from the household or from the family unit. The children don't get the expression that they need or or the energy they need from the feminine and the masculine. You know, the husband and wife party, all those things need to be represented because they have unique uh, expressions, unique gifts, unique abilities, uh, unique skills possessed within each person or each, uh, each design. And I think if we throw it all to the water or, one tries to overly subvert themselves into the other's role, then this is where we end up with the conflict. And I think we can do this collectively if each person can take ownership of just discovering what their particular expression should be in concert with the most high. You guys got any feedback on that? Um, I think you used a great word when you said 
leverage. Each side trying to get leverage on the other side. And that's when things really become toxic, especially when you're speaking on masculine and feminine, um, because one is trying to dominate the other. And so um, when you begin to point fingers and you're trying to make something look bad, that goes into their strategic trying to get to that point of being dominating. But like you said, the the original design of it, they, they, they work together. You Feminine and masculine work together. Um, they're equally, um, I would say, in my opinion, expressions of Yahweh. Right? He wanted us to have both of those things to work together. They weren't designed to be in a competition with each other because once that happened, like you said, it breaks down the structure and now that the functionality of them just don't, it doesn't fit well. Um, and so, like you said, I think people really do need to get back down to break it down, what it means for them as opposed to trying to make a label on something. What, is those, what do those things look like for you? What does healthy masculinity look like for you? And let's have that discussion as opposed to just trying to find a toxic label on everything. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I was just thinking about how I'm glad you said that, Jonathan, because I was thinking one thing may look toxic to one person and it may not be necessarily toxic, like the mindset that a male says, hey, I want to be the provider. If say in the in the situation of a family and he says, I don't want my wife to work. I want to be the provider. Now, some women love that. I didn't, you know, I don't want to work. I want to be free to do whatever God's calling me to do and dream and create and do whatever. I don't want to be stuck on a job. Another woman could look at that and say, you're oppressing me, you know. And so to me, you know, that would be called toxic. So even that, it's not across the board. So I, I like what you said about you have to figure out what it is for you. And it, is it something that can be worked out? Or is it, is it a hard stance that this man has? And, and is this toxic masculinity only expressed in individual attitudes and mindsets? Or is the system itself uh, set up to create uh, toxic masculinity? Like, for example, women who do the same job as men not getting the same pay. If some, some people would put that in the range of or in the in the category of it being toxic because it reinforces uh, inequality, for example. Oh, no, I think that's a good point. I, I do think that um, there are some systemic evils that are naturally oppressive to women. And as a result, like I said last week, the women's response of being in oppression is to now try to usurp um, any type of leadership or authority a man has, you know, in the construct that God would have designed it to be. And so it, like this is a kind of a rebellion, even if it's healthy authority or healthy leadership or healthy covering a person that's been under oppression is kind of like, no, nah, we don't want none of that. You know, they kind of rebel against all of it on a systemic level. But I mean, we could just go back. Once we go back into the scripture, we go back to Genesis we can see the birth of both the toxic masculinity and femininity when the order of God was broken. And that's ultimately what it gets down to when the two people submit to God first, and then they're able to come to terms with what God has called them to do as individuals and as a corporate body, husband and wife, mother and father, team members of sorts. Um, when they're able to do that. And I think that a healthy expression of both parties is what you will find. And of course, I think, Along the way, everybody is learning. Everybody is growing in their particular roles. They're breaking out of things that they learned along the way, maybe poorly from family members 
or parents who didn't have that information or that revelation. But I think it's all possible. But I think that right now we model ourselves a lot after a, a fallen Adam and Eve as opposed to God's highest ideals and designations for us as men and women. And thusly now we have uh, genders that are enumerated in the hundreds and things of that nature, which is really confusing, you know, um, not to be not to just create conflict for no reason. But that can be confusing when you're trying to identify how two team members work together. <laughs> Do you feel like that this um, that the idea that a man says based on the scripture, I feel like it's my responsibility to not only provide for the family, protect the family, um, to assume responsibility for the vision of the family or welfare of the family. Do you do you see how that can lead to him appearing to be toxic? Or, or for him appearing to be controlling in that way, just to say I'm re- I'm accepting this responsibility. It all falls on me, so I'm gonna I'm going to lead in that regard. I definitely think I can see how a woman who has a different ideology coming under that would feel oppressed, right? Because maybe they don't embrace all of the capacity that they can have within that, right? They just hear that the man has all of the say. So that's what you can hear if you don't understand like within that role there's a lot of freedom and opportunity for you there's less pressure and stress for you in that situation but there are very dynamic roles that you play because even if he has the vision you're supposed to bring some wisdom to that to to help him uh navigate through that you're working working with him through all of that you bringing your skills your gifts your talents and all of that not just to his ideas but what what is supposed to be built for the corporate family that God has called you all to do as a collaborative, as a collective. And I think that if a woman is not necessarily willing to embrace that or to fully see God's um, God's value for her in that picture, then she can feel oppressed. If she comes in with a different mindset or just a spirit of rebellion, like ain't no man never going to tell me what to do, you know, that type of thing. So most definitely, I think that brings an interesting thing. And when you, and I'm not going to say it's 100% of the time, but the majority of the time when I'm looking and I'm seeing people kind of labeling things as toxic, it's coming from a place of a hurt or being broken. And so they're bringing sure. an experience that they had with something or a probably a toxic way that somebody imposed something on them. And they're associating that with the concept, uh, with the entire concept to everybody, as opposed to saying, I had a bad experience, but I want to see. So um I do. I don't know if y'all noticed that, but I do notice most people that label stuff toxic are broken. They, they've they been broken. They've been hurt and they labeling out of that hurt. No, oh, I agree. One hundred percent. Even if they're not hurt on a personal level, they've experienced it on a systematic level where they felt like I said, it's oppression. They've seen it. Leads to rebellion. I don't care how else you put that. If you oppress somebody too long in any type of form, they're feeling like this is this is a self-protection mechanism of. Be rebellious to all of it. Don't let anybody ever put you in that space again. And so that might come out in a very uh, strong, aggressive way, or it might come out in microaggressions through relationships and things of that nature, or, or with male authority at work, or whatever the case might be. So, yeah. Um, you guys have any other thoughts concerning uh, this particular topic? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I can see where people could find issue or take issue with the scriptures and how scriptures mainly being written um, by men 
Uh, the main characters are men. It's a patriarchal society, and um, and that's how things were run. You even see scriptures that talk about, you know, the roles of women in ministry and that kind of thing. And some um, misunderstand those scriptures. And so some people take issue even with the faith based on how they believe God uh, or um, what they would say is that the religion has made it uh, to where women are lesser um, than men. And so I just see how that flows and rolls out just adding on to what you were saying how it rolls out into basically every fabric of life where this whole topic of toxic masculinity and how it's presented because there's a lot of people in the faith who do operate in a toxic manner they push people out of the faith and they push people away from the word or from from the community of believers just based on that mindset or that application that wrong application of uh, the roles of men and women. That's true. Uh, the abuse of authority, the misunderstanding of 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 a cultural context, all of those things. I, I agree with that a hundred percent. And I think that the solution to that, or a solution to that, is continuing to see um, men, uh, righteous men that are following God, continue to exemplify what it means to 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 lead and have the vision for a family, but to be able to lead with, with meekness, to lead with humility and love first. Um, and not just in a marriage, but whatever place of authority that a man might have, that they demonstrate a uh, godly love, a father love, fatherly love in those roles so that the women that might come under their leadership can experience that. And, you know, over time we will be able to, to be able to embrace another model and not necessarily only the abusive models, because just because of, uh, there is a pattern that doesn't mean that that's what it was intended to be. That just means that sin has had some time to mature and to multiply. And, um, but I believe that the kingdom of God has a, has a higher replication rate once the seed is sown. So, well, guys, I think that's a wrap on this particular topic, at least for now, I'm sure that there are things that might come up. And um, again, we're looking forward to what you might want to contribute as I listen to audience to this topic. And we definitely would love to, chop it up and bring it back in bring it back into our discussion but for now we're going to go ahead and move on to our next segment for the show today the congress, the congress. that's right the congress we're definitely moving forward to that i'm going to go ahead and throw it over to jonathan to lead us in our discussion for today so for the congress today uh we're going to talk a little bit about capitalism and socialism uh i thought it would be a, a good topic to discuss especially what was going on in cuba right now and uh, we're starting to hear more of socialists and um, capitalist societies and economies and just getting into what those things mean, what they look like, and, you know, the kingdom's perspective of those things. So first, I think we can just get into some basic definitions of it, right? And so we're looking at capitalism. What is capitalism? Um, capitalism is an economic structure where private individuals and businesses have capital, all right? So that's where we are now. You have private businesses, private people can create products, gain money, um, and pretty much do what they want to do with the wealth that they gain. And then you have that uh, socialism. Socialism is, socialism is an economic or political system where the community or the state owns the means of production. And so the community will dictate what is made, how it is made, and then they will share in um, those roles and doing those things. Um, 
And then, but socialism is supposed to eventually go into what is known as communism, which is why there's all this going on here on the West side in the, in the Western hemisphere against the rest of the world, Soviet Union, Cuba, and all those things, because uh, they're eventually supposed to go to a communist regime. And communism says that the community basically owns everything. It goes to a classless society. And we know here in America, there are several classes here. There's the wealthy, there's the middle class, there's the lower class. Well, socialism and eventually communism attempts to eliminate those things. Uh, and so just going off the initial definition and what we're looking at with communism and socialism and capitalism, uh, what do you guys think as far as kingdom, kingdom views? How do you think... Um, we are supposed to approach those different types of societies. Oh, that's a, that's, <laughs> you hit us with a banger right there. Oh man. I mean, I can see kingdom principles in capitalism. I see kingdom principles in what you stated or what you broke down the simple definition of socialism. Of course, communism, I know hearing that on the news and hearing that in different places, it's always, especially where we are, it always is uh, referred to as something negative. So it's like it's like the bad word. Um, I, I do believe that in the kingdom, he wants his community, his people to prosper. But then he said the poor will be with us always. So we we know that even in whatever government that's set up or whatever society that's set up until Christ returns, you're still going to have the poor. So there has to be a plan for them and how to minister to the poor, the widows, the orphans, that kind of thing. But I feel like whatever is set up from a kingdom view, it should not um, give, it should not take away individuals uh creativity and ability to create and they should be rewarded for that because to me that's an incentive to make the world better it's an incentive to create things that are, are not in existence it's an incentive to reward those who think out the box or who are diligent um in such a way that they can make society better so there should be some kind of way where the creative the diligent are rewarded but at the same time, how um, it comes against greed, how, how it comes against greed. So even in the reward, there should be some kind of thought put towards the people who don't have, the people who are less than, for whatever reason, or, or in a, um, a lower class, for whatever reason. So that's a great question. I'm still thinking through those things. Sheree, what, what do you got to say about that? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about, I, I feel like we built on this a little earlier, but I was thinking about, like, is there a, a place in time where they can coexist? Like, there is capitalism and socialism kind of corp uh, incorporated together. Because I, I read one definition that it said completely or partially owned by the, you know, government for a collective purpose, right? So even I think now in America, we have, we have capitalism as a free market. Everybody can pretty much go earn what they want to earn and then we're taxed but then like there's this this skewed thing where the the lowest percentage of people that make the least amount of money pay more taxes than those who make 
you know, the upper echelon of money. And I think that if there is a way where we have a collective vision where we are free to free to create, free to earn, but the taxes are really allocated to do what they they're said to do. I mean, because there's so many theories out there that taxes really don't take care of the things that we perceive them to take care of. And then would it really be regulated where the richest of rich people are are put into a position where they still have to pay their percentage? You know, like if you make $100,000, you, you pay your 10% or whatever the number is. And if you make $100 million, you pay your 10%. Like I feel like if that, that particular mindset would be fair. And, of course, I think I'm looking more into a – commonwealth perspective when i go back into scripture and i see how israel was set up and of course you know we don't live in israel's time but it was a national order and even their tie system uh it was really their treasury of how they took care of their nation how they took care of widows and orphans and strangers this is how they took care of everybody to make sure everybody had enough the levites didn't have land so they couldn't grow food so their their food was distributed. Basically, it was like getting EBT. You know, it was their way of being able to be fed. And I think that the Commonwealth system, even when you go into the New Covenant, when when they brought the monies before the apostles and then they distributed again to the people so that everybody had their needs met, I think that the mindset, the mindset that exists in that time, if there is a way that we could incorporate that into our current uh, a current government structure where you can earn, you can build, you can do what you're going to do, but there's always a space where we tax, but we do it with the purpose of establishing a commonwealth treasury where we take care of, everybody's taken care of to a certain extent. That's good. That's good. I like that. I'm going to throw you with this one real quick. Um guy named Adam Smith, he's considered the forefather of capitalism here. And his definition of capitalism was that when a business, when business people go into business and their business benefits the community, their payment is their reward for performing a service for the community. And so the business is supposed to be a benefit for the people. And then the people, because the people are benefiting from it, then they reward their business because they need it. It's a people over profit type model. But when you look here, it's kind of the opposite. It's always profit over people and i think that's where it kind of got cloudy when you know like greed as we were talking about earlier i was gonna say what do you think about things like people who created the internet or you know access to the internet i was thinking about at some point should those services that they charge for once you see that it's necessary for society and for everybody really to have access to it that at some point there's a cutoff and then it goes from being for profit to being something that now we're going to make it to where this is necessary for living or even um, water. Or is that not really um, practical, you know, because you have people who have to work to keep those things functioning. You have the, the service providers, you have the administrative staff. And so is it really just impossible to move those things over to where it can just be like free for all after a certain point, after they made, I guess, the initial money off of it from the beginning. I think um, if you go back into Nikola Tesla's story, I think that his plan was to make like electricity 
free for everybody. And then, you know, his stuff got ripped off and pretty much he died as a person that didn't have anything because all of his intellectual property was stolen, so to speak, and then monetized later. But his mindset was, you know, how does somebody actually own natural resources? Like, how do you own it? You can't produce it. You can't recreate it. It's, it's, it belongs to the earth, you know. So I think that in, in the grand scheme of things, what we're paying for is the administration of those particular things more so than anything. Um, but if, if you're talking about that, of course, we got to have systems in place. But I think that what we get charged for, how things are charged, like right now, when you were younger, we wouldn't buy a bottle of water. We wouldn't pay for water. Like That seemed like a dumb concept. Why would you pay for water? It's free. You pay your water bill. You get water, you drink it, and that's how it goes. But now, like, people won't even drink bottle. I mean, drink water out of their house. They will go pay for water. But I think that the system that we live in creates the need to pay for things. Like, we make it seem like it's a necessity. Or we'll say, this is better than this. It's all sales. It's all advertisement. And if you take any type of advertisement class, you know, a lot of it is fancy lying. That's <laughs> that's what it boils down to. So, I don't know. My, I don't know that there is a place that we can get back to where everything is free, but I do think that a lot of things we're paying for, we're being overcharged for. And then people like Tesla, who you know lives in infamy or lives in lives as a famous name now um, because of his discoveries and what his thoughts were to share with the planet, I think it's possible. But like y'all said, greed is is ultimately at the root of that. I don't think that um people that are in positions in those positions to to lead those different industries will be ever willing to lay it aside and say, nah, we just going to give it to everybody. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Cause you hear all the time people say, well, you know, everybody could just pick their stuff up from the bootstraps. You know, it, it creates a dependent society because technically like welfare, welfare is technically a, uh, it's socialism. It's a socialist concept that, you know, we all kind of pay into it. And then those who need it, get it. Um, and there's people who have a huge, huge, huge problem with it. And I think it's it's kind of weird to me, especially in a country that claims to be or that loves to proclaim Judeo-Christian values. So it's kind of weird to me that there's also this disdain for poor people and kind of a, a celebration almost looks to me like a celebration of poor. When you look at things like the top 1% has more wealth than the bottom, what, 95, 97%. You have to ask yourself, is capitalism actually working and who is it working for? And that's when the conversation kind of gets a little testy because once you start asking who's working for, the people that are just working for want you to be quiet. That's real. That's, I mean, I think that um, another thing with that, when it comes to the idea of um, helping the poor, um, benefiting the poor, people have a mindset that the poor, that a lot of the poor are lazy. And people have a mindset that when when you make people dependent, they don't do what's necessary. Like when um, Biden had the stimulus and a lot of people were out of work for a period of time and they were getting more money sitting home than they were getting going to work. And there was a lot of people who chose not to work, you know, which affected everything else. Work It affected the institutions and other things because people chose not to work because why would I work and get less than what I'm getting from the stimulus? So, yeah, there are mindsets about people being poor and that they feel like a lot of people who are poor, it's because that's their choice and not because of just the circumstance and situation, which feeds into why they would have that mindset about not wanting to help them. 
Yeah, I think those those negative stereotypes are created to maintain a cycle, obviously. I heard one person say, uh, talk to uh, a person without boots about coming pulling themselves up by the bootstraps. Like, you know, they don't got no boots, then then what? You know, and, and even like the example that you had just now, Terrence, like um, people are angry about, you know, folks not wanting to return back to work. But what you realize is that many of those people for the first time in their adult lives felt what it, you know, got to feel what it was like to be able to pay all of their bills. You know, like literally they didn't have to choose between like a utility or groceries. They got to see what that felt like uh, of having a livable wage for the first time in their adult lives. And then that gets the conversation talking about, again, you like you said, capitalism is working for some people, but not for others. So you have people that are working for a corporation and the CEO, the COO, all these people, they're making uh, billions of dollars, untaxed money. But the people that work for them can't even afford to literally live in an apartment in their city alone. They can't afford it. You know, and there was a statistic I saw recently, too, that about 40 years ago, the CEO or the highest person in the company would probably make somewhere about 30 to 40 percent more than the average wage worker. And now it's like 3000 percent or some astronomical number. And it's like that disparity shouldn't exist, like not that much. For what? You know, it's just greed. It's just greed. Like you can blame poor people all you want to, but if you if you had to switch positions and sit in that seat, I mean, I don't think that any, any of them will be able to navigate and last in that type of circumstance when a person literally has, they work 80 hours in a pay period, sometimes even more. And when they bring that check home after taxes and everything, they still can't afford to pay bills. And then you present them with an opportunity now where they're the government is subsidizing them for a certain period of time and they're not now able to experience that. Why would they rush back into a minimum wage job? <laughs> that don't make sense. You know, that don't make sense for nobody to do that. So uh, I don't know. I, I feel like those stereotypes are just it just perpetuates uh, a negative stigma so that capitalism continue to work for who is working for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you get into the discussion about cause I had a discussion about somebody with taxes. And I'm like, I just don't understand why multi-billion, million dollar corporations can't pay more taxes to be able to uh, fund some things. And they were like, well, if they pay more taxes, then you know, there's less people that's going to have to work. And I'm like, why? Why? They're multi-billion dollar corporations. Who told you that less people have to work if they pay more taxes? The wealthy people did. Right. And the same thing with the minimum wage conversation. Well, if you start paying people $15, then they're going to have to cut people. Yeah, mom and pop shops, maybe, but that's not that's not even who we're talking about, right? We're talking about the Walmarts and the Amazons and those type of people. And it's like, well, people get cut off. And I'm like, why? You know, the, the CEO of Amazon who just stepped down, but I mean, how much wealth did he gain just during the pandemic? And we're talking about being able to pay people $15 in a corporation like that. He's going to the moon today, I believe, right? So, and we can't pay people $15 an hour. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I think when you're so rich that you're bored with the planet. <laughs> <laughs> when you're that rich, you're just like, I'm, all right, I'm bored of Earth. Let's just go see what's out there. You know, like, uh, that's kind of wild to me. But, yeah, I, I think that that's cons consistently perpetuating a negative stereotype to forward the agenda, even with taxation, I was listening to like, um, I don't even remember, but it was some billionaires having a conversation. And it's like, 
Well, you can't force billionaires to pay taxes because they don't have jobs. <laughs> you you can force the working person to pay taxes because they have jobs and they have yeah. paperwork they have to fill out and the taxes are, you know, basically taken out. If a person is a billionaire or in that status, they voluntarily pay their taxes, which means they find loopholes. They basically use the system as it was wired or or set up to be used and it's always been set up to keep people that are poor, poor, and the people that are rich, rich, you know. And so this have to, it has to be a whole overhauling of even what our taxation laws look like. And, I mean, that's a rabbit hole on that because I, I watch some very interesting videos of people that used to work for the IRS and some of their discoveries and things. But, you know, I don't want to create any anarchy, so I'll resist <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> The one thing that I do want to point out, because we didn't really talk about it, we'll probably get into it another time, is just, you know, there are negative aspects to socialism as well. You think about a community approach to things and you think, oh, well, if everybody's working together, it works great. But that greed gets into that type of society as well. And so when you look at places like Cuba, who controls the Internet and how much people can see in the media, you look at places like China where, you know, journalists have to kind of write a certain type of way and only certain types of movies and you can only say certain types of things about the Republic of China. Those are, you know, communist, socialist places. And so those, I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily want to be a part of that either. So, I mean, it is, it is a wide ranging discussion why, you know, why it's, it's a reason why it's so polarizing. It is, it's a reason why it's what is so polarizing. Whatever economic engine uh, a government goes with that we that we would rally for it has to also be partnered with righteousness <laughs> and until that is effective i think all of them can be uh can have a level of evil you know what i'm saying like working its way through it it doesn't matter the highest ideal um could work and then it will be contaminated because wicked people are in charge of it so Absolutely. you know that's just I don't know. <laughs> that's that's so uh, disappointing and depressing in a, in a way, but it's the truth. It's the truth. All right, guys, we are gonna move it right along. This has been a good, good. That was a good build on that. I think that's interesting. Y'all might have to go dust off your uh your social studies, you know, your government and economics books, and and um dig into that a little bit more, and and uh, let us know what you think, and let us know how you're feeling about that topic. What are your what is your perspective? All right, we're going to move into our next segment for the show. That's right. We're going to go ahead and open the scroll. That's right. I'm going to go ahead and throw it over to Terrence and let him lead us in our discussion as we revisit our topic from last week. So last week we were talking about the nature of God, Yeshua. Is he deity or not? Is he the eternal son of God? And we came across this topic that was actually happening around the same time some something that came up or recently china mclean uh she's an actress i know her from um from black lightning but i was talking to my wife and she was like oh she's been acting for a while with tyler perry of course i never watched any of his stuff so i didn't know her from there but anyway she was talking about um she had this this post out and talking about the trinity and she basically said that um, as she had been studying the word personally, she began to start having problems with the doctrine of the Trinity. And she was saying that she didn't see scripture affirming three distinct persons or, or three beings in one God. And she basically was saying in it that she believed God was not three persons, but that Christ preexisted as the word of God, as an extension of God, 
which um, also she said the Holy Spirit is also an extension of God, is the Spirit of God. And she said she believed that Christ in the scripture said the Father was greater than him because he came from the Father. And so that that was interesting. And then she also said how a Trinitarian, um, as a Trinitarian, she found herself struggling to see him as one, uh, at, see him as uh, three distinct beings. And she would begin to start calling um, the Trinity, the triunion God, triune God as them. And she didn't know when to say some say call him him as singular or them. And uh, it was interesting how she broke that down. You might want to check that out. But shortly afterwards, uh, the brother uh, Preston Perry, I believe he's from the Passion for Christ movement or something like that. Uh, that I don't know. Can you tell me, Sheree, where he's from? Because I never knew of him until this. Well, yeah, Preston. I mean, that's kind of where he kind of emerged um, in that poetry movement and scene. And then they kind of branched off and did their um, autumn, um, poets in autumn uh, tour. And they began to tour doing poetry. And then he became known for doing like a lot of apologetics um, and things of that nature. I know that they are, uh, they have, they are a part of a ministry in Atlanta now, but he and his wife, Jackie Hill Perry, which more people probably know her than him. Um, she's a poet. She's also a Bible teacher. And so they do a lot of collaborative teaching, poetry performances, apologetics, and um, writing and things of that nature. So a lot of people in that uh, community know them from that. Okay, so he got on and he basically posted um, in response to what China was saying and kind of defending the, the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, when I listened to him, he said a lot of good things, but um, most of his scriptures he went to were scriptures that were talking about the pre-existence of Christ, that he pre-existed uh, being um, in the flesh. He pre-existed incarnation and that he was deity. Um, he was, he used scriptures that proved that Christ didn't never rejected worship, um, and that he claimed to be, and that he said, I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. So that he claimed deity and, um, people responded to him. His followers responded to him as deity. It didn't speak to what she was talking about in my estimation. It didn't speak to what she was getting at. None of them proved that he existed as a different person prior to incarnation. And we, like I said, this is a build from what we were talking about last time. So I just wanted to get y'all's um, opinions on that. What, what are your thoughts about not only the topic, but the, um, the way those conversations are now being had in culture right now? Mm. Well, first, um, when watching um, China's, um, I did resonate with that one, with, with her, her view of it. Um, it was, it was much more simpler to me. I was able to understand it. That's the way I view it. Um, and I had the same struggles. So I was very, very interested in the breakdown because I've had those same struggles with trying to identify three distinct into one. And that was always difficult. Um, and so I'm glad that discussion is happening in the public because I know for a fact some other people struggle. I've had this conversation with a couple of brothers of mine. And, you know, we've, we've tried to bite on it. Um, and then one of the reasons why I do think it's so confusing is when I watched um, the brother Preston's response, his response was a response that I feel like I typically get when somebody's trying to explain it. And so I feel like he was on point. He was on course for what he was trying to explain. But 
he didn't make it more clear. He didn't make it more clear. And it kind of just felt like he was not necessarily trying to um, further give us insight into the nature of God, but trying to defend a stance. And, you know, when you're trying to defend a stance, it, it, you get kind of cloudy when you're trying to explain something to people because you're really just trying to get them to, you know, take your side on a subject instead of trying to give them more knowledge. Um, and then you kind of see that. And I feel like China said one thing in her video that it kind of made me chuckle, but it did resonate. She said, when I asked, you know, a lot of people who study the Trinitarian doctrine, you know, to explain it, once they get to explaining it, they eventually get to this point and, you know, it's like, well, you know, keep reading, keep studying and you, you know, it'll, you'll get the revelation. It'll come to you. And to me, it's like if 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 we get to that point, something's missing there. You know what I mean? Yeah, I <laughs> I have so many thoughts. I, I feel like this is a conversation I've had at least with uh, Terrence over the years, probably over the last what about 20 years now we've been having this conversation. But I've always wondered why we felt like we needed to hold on to this doctrine uh, as if it negated something about. Uh, the God of our faith in some way. I, I mean, I meaning like having to use this to try to explain it. I've always felt like this doctrine emerged from a polytheist converting to, you know, uh, a monotheistic faith and trying to explain the relationship of the Holy Spirit of God and then the incarnate Christ. They were trying to explain the relationship. And then this is kind of how it was explained. And I know that many people will go to like a first John five, seven, um, really as their tablet to say, boom, this is it. First John five, seven, it says, and these three bear record in heaven. But then when you go and like do some research that that particular scripture is conflicting because it might not, it might've been an additive or a commentary that was added by a scribe and not in the original text. And I'm not saying that um, in any way that we're, we're conflating that uh, Jesus is not deity because we don't need the Trinitarian doctrine. I'm saying that we confuse more people than we do illuminate them by trying to explain it. I've never heard it clearly explained, um, even as China has. And when I heard her her rendition or her understanding of it as the Holy Spirit is leading her in her studies, it resonated with me. I felt I felt like that was true um, as the Holy Spirit has navigated me toward it. And I remember once um, in a teaching um, I was in uh, with even with Terrence, where we had this example where we use water to explain the relationship, but all of it came from one source. So it's like the separation of the three persons. I think that we, it sounds good. The songwriters make it sound good, but it doesn't make sense when you're trying to explain it to the average person. And so I feel like there's a lot of conflict with that particular doctrine. And I don't know why we want to hold on to so dear. Like we don't lose anything from Jesus. We don't lose anything from the Holy spirit. We don't lose anything from the father in their functions without it being explained the way that we try to, you know, hold on to it with that. But that's my, my initial thought. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. I would say my, a few points about this. I believe that the reason why um, people like Preston and others, he's just an example of many others who would come alongside um, and, you know, bring a correction or rebuke in love based on their understanding. Trinitarians assume the role of authoritarians when it comes to breaking down the nature of God. And those who don't ascribe to their explanations are viewed as heretical or even sometimes deviants. Um, 
from the from the truth of scripture and even though if you ask the apostles back in the day you know do you believe in the trinity they wouldn't know what in the world you were talking about if you mentioned the trinity the breakdown of god in three persons they would have no clue uh what the person was talking about because the language about it the conversations about narrowing it down and how to explain it all those things happen after the initial apostles already left the scene and so you have two extremes you got the trinitarians on one extreme and the oneness pentecostals on the other extreme who believe that basically um there is no distinction at all between the father son and holy spirit it's all jesus um i believe both need some reforms in their theology and in their explanation and breakdown neither one of them take into account the unfolding of god and how he chose to become or add to his nature for a particular purpose in the fullness of time. So what I noticed that they don't do, when people are explaining Christ and his relationship with the Father, they start with the activity of Christ in the um, um, when he was incarnated in the flesh. And I don't think that's a good place to start. If you want to talk about the triune nature of God that was eternal, that is three persons, then you need to start before he was incarnated and show a clear relational discourse and breakdown of how the father was relating to his son in heaven and the Holy Spirit was speaking to the son and the Holy Spirit was speaking to the father as different persons in heaven pre-incarnation. So I feel like that's one of the other things um, that goes on with that. What what are your thoughts about that? Uh, do you see where people don't really deal with the chronology, eternity past, God in time, in the fullness of time, and then, you know, eternity future, if you will? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I know, you know, initially um, when I was grappling with this and I was struggling with this. I know I remember I called you this had this was a few years ago and I called you about it and me and you started discussing it. Um and the first thing that you laid out was where Christ was before his incarnation and what he was doing and what his purpose was and what his function was. And that to me made the relationship with the Father so much more clear. It was, it was because I was able to see, you know, what is he original, what is before Carnage Purpose was, and then when he came, I was able to associate that together. And I feel like with the, the Trinitarian doctrine, I, that is a, a big gap. They don't go back to, because they, you know, they're always trying to prove this third person, which is Christ, the man Christ, the God, man Christ who walked here. That's what they really focus on. That's that person that they actually fo focus on. But if he's supposed to be equal with the father, then you have to be able to tell me what he was doing in those times before he actually came to earth before he was actually brought here. And they, and they, I feel like they do very much so miss that gap um, with it, which is also why it's confusing, which is also why it's confusing. I would, I would even go um, even to the person air quotes of the Holy spirit, meaning like a separate person, because if we're going to say it's a, he's a separate person from being the spirit of Yahweh or the spirit of God, then we would have to point out where he has a separate personality or a separate will or a separate identity from the father. And we don't see that. The only time we see a new personality or a new will even possible within that three expressions 
is when Christ comes in the flesh, when he gets a actual human body, wherein he has a, a mind, will, and emotions, because he has a soul now. And we see that he subdues that part of himself to allow the spirit its full expression. That's the only time we see that it's even possible that a separate personality exists. Because when we're saying a person, we're talking about a personality. Um, and we're talking about mind, will, emotions, and the, the, that type of thing. And we don't see, I can't see that depicted. Uh, you can talk about function or concentration or locality, but you can't show, I haven't seen that in scripture where they have different personalities or different wills at work um, between the three of them. So I don't know, maybe you can speak to that. <laughs> Terrence. Well, I also feel like, you know, the whole topic should not be a salvific issue of somebody. I think it's very simple. Sure. The Lord made, the gospel real simple believe on christ the son of god and he says listen i am the way the truth and the life no one comes into the father lest they come through me so believe on me as the son of god you don't even have to fully understand the godhead and the eternal breakdown of his nature all that kind of stuff you made it real simple so a child could receive and so we make it difficult and complicated but i would simplify it by saying this and this is what the hebrews of old would have would have agreed with Yahweh, the Most High, is one. He's one in nature. He's one in essence. This is how they all viewed him in the Old Covenant. The big mystery that he was holding was that he had his word inside of him carrying a nature and a future of sons that we did not see. So Yahweh is one in spirit. He's one in essence, but then he had the ability, as he says, I am that I am. He has the ability to become what we need. He became man in time. In that, in that moment when he became man, he did not stop being God. And he is able to uh, multiply his presence. And so when he became man in the flesh, he was still God in heaven, the father in heaven. But now we see two. Well, we just used to see one in the old covenant. When Christ comes on the scene, now we see two. Now we see the father is, is God, but now we see the son is the God man carrying two natures, the nature of God and carrying the nature of humanity. So he's both. I think it's disingenuous to just refer to Christ as God and not speak to the man Christ Jesus. I think it's also not fair and not right to just speak about his humanity and not speak about his deity. So we should speak about Christ as the God man or the fullness of God dwelt in him bodily. And then when we get to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is simply the spirit of the father, the spirit of Christ, that very same spirit in us or working through us or working with us, however you want to say that. So as one spirit is one deity is one source, one eternal spirit. But in the fullness of time, he and he pre-planned it and prepared it. He actually manifested in the flesh. And I think that that because people are not looking at it chronologically, they miss it. And then they miss the fact that the scripture says that at some point, the, the scripture says that the father gave all authority, power, everything to the son. And the son now has all that. And he said he gave all of that authority to him, except He's still under the father, but it says when the last enemy is defeated, death is defeated, all things will return back to the father. So at some point we would need to talk about even his role of being a son was provisional and temporary. 
that his role is not about him being an eternal son. He was the eternal word. He became a son so that he could produce sons. And then after that, now he's going all will be in all, it says. So now that role of sonship for Christ is a temporary thing. It was to produce us. And then once everything is done, now it goes back to all you're going to see on the throne is you're going to see Christ, the living word, and the father is in him. So it'll take some time for us to get into that and really understand it fully. We just got to keep talking about it and sharing the revelation. Any last things before we close it out? Nah, but we definitely unrolled a struggle on this one. Yeah. <laughs> you might be scratching your head right now a little bit, but the goal is to continue to have the conversation to bring up topics of discussion that might be controversial or that just may be confusing overall. We want to bring it up to converse about it, to bring clarity, to extract wisdom, to point toward the scriptures in a very clear way and not just, you know, um, have pet doctrines that we just hold on to without understanding. So um, that's the goal. And of course, when there are cultural conversations happening about these particular doctrines, we also want to be able to elaborate on those as well. Um, but I think this one, like he said, is going to be a continuum um, as time goes on. And um, that, that last thing you said was pretty powerful. Even it made me think about when the scripture talks about that our words can make worlds or frame worlds. Like that, that that's like a whole nother layer of revelation. Like, the word could just become whatever it has to become, you know, even when we're speaking in our sonship identity that we have that power. So why not, you know what I'm saying? The most high, why would he not have that? Ability? That's good. That's yeah. Good. That's, that's pretty powerful. <laughs> that's pretty powerful. All right. Well, God, that's, that's, um, that's going to be a wrap on, on unroll the scroll for this particular show. We're going to get into real quick a uh, couple of resources for you in this segment. What's good? What's good? Yeah, that's right. What's good? Uh, Jonathan, you had a um, a resource or, or something good that you wanted to share with the people today? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some good news. Um, I know probably most people are not living in Missouri, but I hope this kind of spreads around. Missouri governor just passed a sign in the law, what is called Random Acts of Kindness Day. It's going to be August 31st there. And so I would love to see that kind of spread and catch fire and just people start to, you know, looking at everyone as more humane as in less, you know, political enemies and all this other stuff that's going on. Get out there and, you know, do something nice for some people. That's what's up. Yeah. Generosity, benevolence, kindness, all of those things reflect the glory and the goodness of God. And I think that um we can be hands and feet. Um, in this time and space and very simple acts can really transform someone's life in a day. And so um, we don't even really have to wait for a governor to sign it into act into an act for our state or local city. I think that you can do that. Local churches, families, you can choose to have your time to do that. We encourage that um, definitely. And um, I know me and my family, we we do that, but not necessarily on a scheduled time. We just do it sporadically. But um, we might become more systematic in there. I think that's that's um that's pretty awesome. I also like to throw out a, a, a what's good resource. Um, I've come across a new um, Bible translation. It's a newer one. It's called the Sefer Bible. That's C-E-H-P-E-R. And um, even in this conversation today, I think that um, if you are a person that really digs into the scripture and you like to know what things mean or what they in, were intended to say, um, this scripture, what it does is it with this uh, translation does is it has restored a lot of the original names, so you're not tripped up on Lord God or 
places they kind of put, they put in place what it was in Hebrew so that you have a more clear understanding of what the passage was communicating in context. I think it's a pretty dope resource. Um, it's, it is a little pricey, but it's, it's, I think the people that are putting it together, they're putting a lot of effort into it and, um, it's quality material. It came, you know, in a nice leather case and hardback. I got little separators and dividers in it. It's, it's a pretty, um, tight resource. I think you, if you're a person that likes to build your library for study materials, rather spiritual or, you know, just in general, I think this is one of the ones you want to have in your library, but yet yeah, it's a Sefer Bible. So check that out. But I think that's all we got for y'all for what's good this week. Um, we will uh, continue to share good news with you. We just enjoy, uh, you know, just showing the glory of God being manifested through his people in every place. Um, and, and if there are resources and, and um, tools we think that will be sufficient for you and your family to continue to grow, we're going to bring those before you. There are new artists, new books, and things of that nature we'll share. And be uh, feel free to share with us. We want to continue to hear from you. Check us out on social media at The High Culture Podcast. Um, that's on Facebook and Instagram. And if you want to hit us on email, the high culture podcast at gmail.com. Before we leave you, I'm going to toss it over to Terrence to leave you with some words to live by. And then we're going to roll out. Terrence. Listen, the end game is victory. This is my message to you today. The end game is victory. Um, the scripture says that the most high declares the end from the beginning. And so he has already seen your victory. He's already seen your prosperity. He's already seen you conquer, even though you may, you may be on the front end of it thinking, how can I get through this? How can I make it? You know, he's already seen it. The scrolls have already been written concerning you. And he who has started a good work in you will complete it till his day of return. So we fight from the place of victory. Keep fighting, keep pressing on, but don't fight from a place of struggling and, and oppression. Understand that you have already received the victory. And when God gives you victory, that's when he tells you to go and possess the land because it's already yours. So you're just possessing something that he's already given you from the spirit. You're just bringing it in. So remember that the end game is victory. That's the word. That's peace. That's peace. Well, guys, it's been a great, uh, great podcast with y'all this time. We pray that you have an amazing week. We command the blessings of the most high on you and your household. And we look forward to building with you next Saturday. We thank you for continuing with us on this journey. And I'll leave you like I always leave you. You might mind your manners. You might mind your business, but don't do anything without considering the mind of Christ. It's the High Culture Podcast. Ah, coach, get up on that kingdom life. Get up on that kingdom life. Yeah, get up on that kingdom life. Ah, coach, get up on that kingdom life. Get up on that kingdom life. Yeah, get up on that kingdom life. Young men to see your visions and old men. Get up on that kingdom life. Young men to see your visions and old men. Get up on that kingdom life.